I have a question for you this morning. The question is, what happens to your heart when you see trouble in today's world? Whether it's the war in Ukraine, the constant threat of inflation, rising costs of food, racial tensions, increased persecution against the church, overseas and starting to see more in the U.S., spiking of COVID and all its variants, you name it, there is trouble all around us. Not to mention the troubles that are within us, loved ones that are seriously ill or have passed on. Chronic chronic pain, migraines, anxiety, fear, depression, broken marriages, strained relationships, unsaved family and friends. Trouble, trouble, trouble. What does Job have to say to us today? Job says in chapter 14, verse 1, man who was born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. What about David? David, what, what, can, you, what can you share with us today? David says in Psalm 55, Four through eight. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Hmm. In his sermon on this text that I'm going to share with you all this morning, the late, great Martin Lloyd-Jones, the good reverend doctor, he said, if we are depending for happiness and joy and a quiet heart and a final sense upon any individual human being, upon, upon our family, our home, our profession, our money, our health and strength, we are doomed to experience disappointment. What do you do? Where do you go when your heart is troubled? You just try to put your pennies together and try to save up to go to the happiest place on earth. It's not happy. It's not happy there anymore. Yeah. You try to pretend that your troubles don't exist. How do you deal with your troubles? Praise God. You are in Christ, loved ones. I just want to remind you. God's word is more than sufficient to answer answer this question. And so would you please join me now as we turn our attention to the book of John chapter 14. We'll be looking at specifically verses 1 through 6. We will look closely at the second person of the triune Godhead. Jesus the Christ, our sovereign God. We will see on how he comforts trumpet hearts. Amen. Amen. And the scripture reads as follows. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Praise God. Amen. So in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, by God's grace, We will observe four ways to comfort your heart when it is troubled. Four ways to comfort your heart when it is troubled. Verse one, we'll see the prescription for a troubled heart. Verse two, we will see the preparation for a troubled heart. In verses three through four, we will see the promise to a troubled heart. Lastly, in verses five through six, we will see the proclamation for a troubled heart. 
Amen. All right. Now, in order for us to appreciate our journey into John chapter 14, we need to do a quick review to gain some context of what's happening with our Lord Jesus and his disciples. Because the way that this chapter starts, it just seems rather abruptly, right? And so we need to go back to chapter 13 to understand that this is now, we are now entering into the upper room discourse, all right? Our Lord Jesus Christ is preparing his, he's preparing himself for the cross in which he's about to face. And so he's spending this time with his disciples to give some last minute encouragement and just some greater truth to help them through this storm that they are about to endure. And so in John chapter 13, after finishing their Passover meal, the Lord Jesus demonstrated once again that the son of man came to serve and not be served. And he starts washing all the disciples' dirty feet, including Judas. And after the master teacher explains what he did, our Lord then warns the disciples that one of them will betray him. That brought trouble to their hearts. And in verse 31, after having spent much of every waking moment with his disciples for the past three years, our Lord now tells the disciples that he will be leaving them and they will be unable to follow him. That brought trouble to their ears. And if that wasn't enough for their ears and moreover for their hearts, verse 38, the Lord Jesus tells Peter, the rock, one of his inner three, that even he will deny the Lord three times. You must understand, loved ones, that devastated them. That devastated them. They were overwhelmed by all this information, completely undone. And now, now we have arrived at the first point of our outline. This is the prescription for our troubled heart. Hear the word of our Lord. Let's look at it again. Verse one. Our Lord Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. All right. And so here in this verse, the Lord gives the disciples a negative command to address their emotional state. He tells them, let not your hearts be troubled. Or in the legacy standard version, he says, do not let your heart be troubled. And the word in Greek for troubled can mean inner turmoil or being stirred up or disturbed. And you know that feeling, right? If you've lived long enough, you know that feeling. It's that feeling you get when you hear some news that you didn't expect that day and it disturbs you to your core. Now, what if after you had just received some disturbing news, I bump into you and I could see that you're troubled in your face and I ask you, why are you troubled? Talk to me. What's going on? And you share with me the troubling news. And I say to you, oh, don't be troubled. Yeah, somebody, <laughs> somebody's like, uh-huh, now you better step away. You better step away, Pastor, <laughs> you know. Uh, I get it, right? You know, because that didn't change the situation, right? I did nothing to help the situation, right? I didn't give you a solution on why you should not be troubled. But praise God for Jesus that that's not what's happening right here. That's not what's happening, right? Jesus Christ is not only going to command the disciples to stop being troubled in their hearts, but he's going to give them the only prescription needed to overcome their troubles. He directs them to faith. Not faith in themselves, right? Not faith in that everything will just work out on its own. You ever hear people say that? Oh, it'll work out on its own. Like there's some, you know, there's just some thing out there that's just like, oh, you, you have trouble? Oh, okay, I'll work it out for you. No, 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 no. Notice, Jesus tells his disciples the key to not being troubled is found in their faith in God. Amen. Bless his name. And praise God. He doesn't stop there. He reminds his disciples and also us once again that he was not only truly man but that he was also truly God. And it's only their faith in him that will comfort them in their troubles. And we need to be reminded of that, loved ones. We need to be reminded of that. 
And now the way that this is recorded by the Apostle John in Greek, there is some debate on, um, among scholars on whether Jesus said this to the disciples in the imperative mood, believe in God, believe also in me. Or did he say it in the indicative mood? You believe in God, you believe also in me. And most commentaries seem to prefer that the Lord stated it in the imperative mood. Believe in God or trust in God. Trust also in me. This is true faith, loved ones. That's what separates our faith from the faith of everyone else. We believe in the true and living God. We believe in Jesus Christ. Amen. I hope you believe in him. Hebrews eleven six says now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. That's true faith. We're not like everyone else, just hoping, right? Just wishing for a happy day, hoping that all of our troubles will go away. No, no, no. That's foolish. Our faith is anchored in the truth. Our faith is anchored in Christ. And now, even though we know, and even though if we have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, mountains could be moved into the sea, yet when we get some unexpected news, It's like the mountain came out of the sea and fell right on us. Somebody say amen. Amen. But why is it that when that happens, why is it that we're so prone to waste so much time trying to understand why something happened to us? Why did something disturbing happen to me? Why why did I have to receive this disturbing news? Did we forget that the Lord Jesus said in John chapter, chapter 16, in this life, you will have many tribulations. He didn't say maybe. No, he said you will. You will have tribulations, right? Why do we forget that? Why do we forget that we lived in a troubled world? Most of all, why is it that we forget what the Lord has done for us? We're just like the disciples. We could be so quick to point at them and say, oh, come on, guys, come on. What's wrong with you? Don't be troubled. You're sitting with the Lord Jesus Christ. But let a trial hit us this afternoon. We'll be ripping our shirt and throwing dirt on our head saying, why, Lord, why? Right? Talk to me. We can be just like them. And yet, didn't the Lord give his disciples an abundance of evidence as to why they should trust him? Who else was able to feed over 5,000 with only five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish? Who else was able to open up the blind, open up the eyes of the blind, to open up the ears of the deaf, the mouth of the mute? Who else was able to cast out demons, raise the dead to life, and calm the very winds and the wave? Only our Lord Jesus Christ. And furthermore, May I remind you, loved ones, that we serve a God who became troubled for our sake. You don't believe me? That's all right. Let's go to the word. John chapter 11. Let's go back a few few chapters. John chapter 11. This we know is when the friend of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lazarus, had died. And despite receiving the troubling news, the Lord decided to take his time to come and see Mary and Martha. But look when the Lord finally steps on the scene. Verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. Oh, wow. There's nobody like Jesus. There is nobody like Jesus. Let's move over to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Behold his face, loved ones. Picking up at verse 20, it says, Now there were certain Greeks among those who were going, to, uh, going up to worship at the feast. These therefore came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. 
Verse 22, Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and they told Jesus. And Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to the shall keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. Listen up, loved ones. Verse 27. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. And there came, therefore, a voice out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Hallelujah. Mm. But before our Lord was glorified, he was troubled. He was troubled. And he shared, even in chapter 13, after sharing the betrayal of Judas and fulfillment of scripture, we learn in John chapter 13, verse 21, that Jesus once again was troubled in his spirit. Now, loved ones, I just have to ask you, are you thinking about comforting others when you're troubled? Be honest, because I know I'm not thinking about comforting others when I'm troubled. You know, let me stub my little pinky toe and I want everybody to rush to my aid, man. You know, you could ask my wife, you could ask her. You know, but that's most of us, right? Because we always are just so consumed with self, 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 self. That's always what's on our mind. It's only supernaturally that we think of others, but not Jesus Christ. He's about to face the wrath of his father. So much so that he cried out to the father three times. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not thy will be done, but Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And Jesus Christ drank that cup of wrath down to the dregs. Loved ones, doesn't that comfort you to know that your God, my God, the God of the scriptures, that he was troubled. And yet that did not stop him from coming to save us. That didn't stop him from coming to rescue us. That comforts me. And I hope that that comforts you to know that God became incarnate. He came and took on the veil of human flesh in order to be troubled, to ransom you and to rescue you from eternal damnation. Hallelujah for Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every, in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus Christ went through every trouble that we could ever imagine. Yet, it did not stop him from finishing the task, from doing the Father's will. And praise God, loved ones, that's what we need to be reminded of when we experience troubles. That's the prescription for our troubles. We need to remember, we need to hold fast to our faith. Believe in God, believe also in Christ, for he is God. Amen. Now back to our text. Reach verse two. Let's go back to verse one. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. Hallelujah. So now we've reached the second point of our outline. This is the preparation. The preparation for a troubled heart. And here in this verse, Jesus teaches his disciples some truth to further encourage their hearts. He gives them a peek into the father's house. And this is not to be confused with the father's house in John chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, where the Lord Jesus Christ saw the people being taken advantage of. And he demonstrated that holy, righteous indignation by making a whip of cords and drove the money changers out from the temple. No, this is not the house that's being referred to here. This, in this text, Jesus is referring to God's heavenly kingdom. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, it says, but as it is, 
they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Praise God. And you heard earlier in Revelation chapter 21, Pastor Plumlee read it. I just want to go back to verses 1 through 3. And the scripture reads as follows. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Hallelujah. So, loved ones, Jesus is comforting his disciples and letting them know that there is plenty of room in their father's house. And that should have been very encouraging for them. That should have been very encouraging for these disciples because they had left their homes. They had left their professions to know that Jesus had reserved a place for them in heaven. That should have comforted their troubled hearts. Not to mention, this came from a man who was born in a manger. This was a man that when he came to earth, there was no place for his family in the inn. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ said, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the son of man had nowhere to lay his head. But yet Jesus Christ is telling his disciples in my father's house are many dwelling places. There's plenty of room. In the King James version, it says many mansions. Now it's better translated as dwelling places or rooms or abodes. Now, unfortunately, you have some prosperity preachers who focus on the mansion translation and think that that is a justification for their living a lavish life here on earth because they figure, well, I'm going to get a mansion in heaven. I might as well prepare myself and get a mansion here, right? That's what they're thinking. But now let me ask you, loved ones, do you really care if God has reserved for you some HGTV decked out home in heaven, do you really care? No, you shouldn't. You should be content to just have a corner or a room. You know why? Because you know, if you believe the gospel, that you and I don't deserve to be there. Okay? Someone had to pay that penalty in order for us to be in heaven. Someone had to foot that bill. We couldn't afford that bill. But Jesus Christ paid that bill in in full with his very own life. And so, praise God for Jesus Christ, that we don't have to get to heaven on our own performance. We would never make it. God knows that already. He knew that before the very foundation of the world. And that did not stop him from making us, but most of all, for sending his son to pay the penalty for our sin. And so, praise God that Jesus Christ, he has made room for us in his father's house. There was no other way that we could have gotten there. Jesus Christ made it so. And if it were not so, he would have told us, sorry, there's no room for you at the end. There's no room for you in my father's house. No, he won't say that to us who are in Christ. But, to those of, but for those who are still rebelling against him, for those who are still thinking that they can get to heaven on their own merit or some other way, no, he will tell them, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Depart from me. I never knew you. But for us who are in Christ, praise God, we won't hear those words. We'll hear, welcome, enter into your father's rest. Oh, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're looking forward to hearing. That's what we're looking forward to hearing. Mm. And now I just want you to understand, the Lord Jesus Christ said, for I go to prepare a place for you. And I don't want you to think that Jesus is preparing our room like this is some heavenly holiday inn. No, no, no. He's not doing that. No, he's too busy doing more important things. He's sitting at the right hand of the father and he's interceding for you and I right now. He's praying for us that we would not lose faith. He's praying for us that we will persevere to the end. That's what Jesus is doing for us right now. And you should be rejoicing for that because if it wasn't for the prayers of Jesus Christ, we wouldn't be here right now. Amen. Amen. So let's continue in our outline. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go 
and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Praise God. So now we've reached the third point of our outline. This is comfort to troubled hearts. This is the promise. We've now arrived at the promise to a troubled heart. And so Jesus not only gives his disciples some eternal truth about their ultimate destination, but he then makes it even sweeter by letting his disciples know that he personally will come back to get them. That is just so loving of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a loving and merciful and compassionate God we serve. And this is actually a reference to the second coming of Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18 reads as follows. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do, who do excuse me, as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of our Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Praise God. Praise God. So now Jesus is telling us if he's going and he has gone, he's preparing a place for us. But greater than that, he will come again and receive us to himself. Where he is, we will be with him as well. Praise God. Now, although the Bible doesn't tell us when Jesus is coming back, because that's not for us to know. We're to walk by faith and not by sight. And we are to trust God's promises that he is coming back. Loved ones, we have to rejoice in that. We are going through trouble to remind us that this world is not our home. We are merely pilgrims. We are passing through this world. Don't get comfortable here because this is not our final destination. And hallelujah, praise Jesus for that. Jesus Christ is not going to leave us here. He will neither leave us nor forsake us. That is his promise. And furthermore, we have evidence that he's coming back because if we visit his grave, we will see that only that grave is empty. And that should cause us to be sad for those who are putting their hope and trust in some other supposed Messiah. That should break our hearts because we can visit their graves and we can excavate them and show them here. That's where your hope ended. But we, we have a living hope. We have a living hope. And his name is Jesus. Praise God. So although the troubles may seem overwhelming at times, take heart, loved ones. Be comforted in knowing that our Lord and our God, he's coming back for us. Mm. And some foolishly mock. Some will continue with their jokes and their persecution against the church. But listen to the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. But is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish. But that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So I know, just as in the days of Noah, people were eating and drinking and marrying and thinking, it's all about me. Live my life to the glory of me. That day, remember, Noah didn't close the doors of the ark. Who closed the doors of the ark? God closed the doors of the ark. There will come a day where God will say enough is enough. Yes. 
the sin of mankind has risen up to the heavens. And our God is a holy God. He is a perfectly righteous God. And there must, he must deal with sin. He must deal with sin. And on that day, the rain didn't trickle from the heavens. No, sir. The canopies of heaven were opened up. And all the water that was crushed, crushed everything except for those whom the Lord has preserved, Noah and his family. Praise God that we are in the ark of Jesus Christ. He is the only one that's protecting us. He is the only one that will safely bring us to heaven where he is. Amen. Amen. Jesus is not going to leave just as he promised that he would not leave his disciples as orphans, leaving them to fend for themselves. Nor has he left us. He has not forgotten us and he will not forsake us. And this is what we have to remember, loved ones. This is what we have to remember. And this should have put the disciples at ease in knowing that the Lord had worked everything out according to his perfect plan. This was not a figure it out. We'll figure it out as we get there. We'll, we'll build the plane, you know, while we're flying it. No, no, that's the foolishness of man. We serve an infinite God that has infinite knowledge and wisdom. He had this all figured out. And Jesus, praise God, he fulfilled the master's plan. And so this is meant to comfort us. I know we're going through trouble and I know sometimes it gets difficult. But Jesus Christ is going to come back for us. and He's going to take us back so we can be with him. Amen. Amen. And now, even though the Lord had told them these great things to encourage them. Look at verse four. The Lord Jesus says, and you know the way where I am going. And how does our beloved Thomas How does he respond? Look at verse five. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do, how do we know the way? How do we know the way? Now I know, you know, oftentimes we can get caught up in calling Thomas doubting Thomas, right? And we could understand why that nickname was unfortunately attributed to Thomas because his response was one of unbelief when the disciples had told him that the Lord had risen and that they had saw him, right? And he said, unless I see the marks in his hands and unless I see the marks in his side, I will never believe, right? And who should appear right after that? (laughs) The Lord Jesus Christ. Come, Thomas, come, put your hand here. My Lord and my God, amen. Now that you see me, now you believe. Blessed are those who do not see and yet still believe. Do you see the marks, loved one? We can't see the marks, but we see it in his word and we take God at his word. And that's what we need to do. Right. But in this circumstance, Thomas, he's not doubting. He's just confused and he wants some clarity. He wants some clarity because all of this. Right. Remember, they are thinking that Jesus Christ is going to overthrow the Romans. They wanted him to be a king right there, right now, right? Right? The people were ready to, I mean, they were, they were ready to march Jesus on in. But he pulled away because he knew the hearts of men. And he knew that they weren't, they didn't want him to be the king that he is, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They just wanted their bellies to be filled. No, Jesus is here for something far greater than that. He's here for something far greater than that. And so Thomas, in his Jewish mind, he's not really understanding this whole, what is this that you're going to leave us? What is this that you're going to prepare a place for us? And and you talk about, we know the way. We don't know the way. We don't know where you're going. And now, I don't know about you. Some of you are far removed from having been in school, but I'm still in seminary. And so, you know. Sometimes our professors, you know, they'll throw out, well, you're going to have an exam next week, but you guys already know what's going on. Mm -mm. (laughs) Uh, uh, And now you're sitting there, you're like, "Mm, mm. I'm supposed to know what's going on, but, uh, you know, but then there's that one student who's like, Dr. So-and-so, I'm sorry. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) 
I don't know what this test is going to be on. And you're like, hallelujah, praise Jesus, right? Right? Because that sacrificial lamb, (laughs) he may be slaughtered, but now everybody else is going to feast, right? And you're thankful. You're thankful. It's just like that. It is just like that. Like, because Thomas was brave enough and honest enough to say, Lord, I'm sorry. None of this is making sense to me right now. We don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. Because he did that, now we are privy to this jugular verse. I mean, this is the gauntlet. This is, oh man, Woo. We, we now have the proclamation. The proclamation to a troubled heart. Oh, praise God for Thomas, because we needed to hear this from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are a total of seven I am statements that Jesus made. The first is observed in John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John chapter 10, verse 9. Our Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. In John chapter 10, verse 11. The Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Praise God. And In John chapter 11, verse 25. Remember at the tomb of Lazarus, our Lord Jesus Christ said to Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Now we reach the six I am statement. Ego Ami. I am the way and the truth and the life. No man, no one comes to the Father except through me. This is the this proclamation. This is the proclamation of the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. This is the nail in the coexist coffin. No, we can't coexist. Truth is not mushy. There is no wiggle room with a declarative statement like this verse. And if you are a true Christian, loved ones, you should take ultimate comfort in this verse. Because now you know the way to God. You know the way to God. You know the way to heaven. You remember, you did not once know the way. I did not once know the way. Remember, Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us we didn't have a tummy ache. No, no, no. We were dead in our transgressions. We were totally unresponsive to God. We had no ears to hear his word. We had no eyes to behold his beautiful, precious son. But praise God, that's not where God left us. Praise God for Jesus Christ. We know the way to heaven because we have been rescued by the way. We are in the way. You remember the early church before they had a church name, they were called the way because they were so identified with Christ. That's how we should look today. There should be no confusion about who we are in this lost and fallen world. When we love the things of this world, people can't tell the difference between us and an unbeliever. No loved ones. We're called out of this world because we don't belong to it. We transcend this world because our God had prepared a way for us. And we are in the way. We are the way because we are in Christ. We used to believe that all roads led to heaven. But praise God, we don't believe that foolishness anymore. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to man. But its end is the way to death. And there are a lot of people out there who don't know the way 
to heaven. They don't know the way. They think they know the way, but they don't. What are you going to do, loved ones? Are you just going to watch them keep walking on that road to destruction? We need to ask God for the compassion and the mercy and the love to see those who are still in the kingdom of darkness, that we would be bold enough to speak the truth in love, that they might see the true way, that they might see Christ. Help us, Lord, indeed. Praise God, Jesus Christ, he is not a way of many ways. No, sir. Our, our God did not allow his son to suffer because religion, religion is just a smorgasbord. It's some type of buffet. You could just pick what you want and say, mm, I'll take a little bit of this. I'll take a little bit of that. And yeah, all of this will eventually lead me into heaven. No, sir. No, Christ is the way. And he is not only the way, but he is the truth. He's not a truth of many truths. He is the truth. Pastor Steve Lawson in his book, Show Me Your Glory. He says, and I quote, the truth is never vague or indefinite. God does not speak in ambiguous terms. Truth is never uncertain or unclear. To the contrary, truth is precise, explicit, exact, and crystal clear. It is factual, rational, and objective. End quote. Now we live in a world that wants us to think, that wants us to believe the lie. Your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. It's all relative. It doesn't really matter. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And it's because they're listening to the father of lies. But we need to speak the truth. And the devil wants to silence us with the truth. He doesn't want us speaking the truth anymore. Because he knows what happens when the truth enters into the room. Cancels out the darkness. Because Christ is the truth. And he is the light of the world. And people need to see the light of Christ. They need to hear the truth of Christ. And we need to open our mouths and speak the truth and love loved ones. Don't be ashamed of the truth. Paul wasn't ashamed of the truth. He wasn't ashamed of the gospel. He knew. He was convinced that it was the power of God unto salvation. Hallelujah. And do you know that? Does your life resemble that you know the truth? I know we stumble and I know we fall. A righteous man falls seven times. But praise God, he gets up. And if you're in Christ, you're going to keep getting up. You better keep getting up because the world is watching you. And they're wondering if you really are who you say you are. I see that fish on the back of your car, but I also see you speeding on the highway. <laughs> you know, come on. When we live inconsistent with the testimony of who we are in Christ, people get confused. I know we're not perfect. But we need to be more vigilant in pointing them to the one who is. Because that's where our hope lies. Mm. And Jesus Christ, he is not only the way. He is not only the truth, but he is also the life. That means every other religion, every other supposed messiah, they're all in death because they don't have Christ. Because they don't have Christ. Praise God, loved ones. We know the way. We know the truth. And we know the life. And we should be convinced and continue to be convinced of the gospel that there is no other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ. It's only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we who were formerly guilty and destined for hell. Praise God. He changed our destiny. He changed our destination. But it's because of the finished work of Christ. And that's what we boast in. That's what we are to proclaim in this lost and fallen world. We are ambassadors for Christ. 
as though God were making an appeal to us. We need to be begging people on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And the only way that they can be reconciled is through his glorious gospel. Do you believe that? Praise God. And now, loved ones, I don't know what's troubling you today. But if you are in Christ, remember you already have the prescription for a troubled heart. And the only medicine that you need to keep taking is God's word and his glorious gospel. That's the only medicine that we need. Jesus Christ was trying to encourage his disciples and to strengthen their faith in him. And so he had to remind them, believe in God, believe also in me. We cannot let these troubled times shake us. We cannot let these troubled times rattle us. We know the outcome. You heard it earlier. You know how this is all going to play out. God has already made it abundantly clear in his word. We just need to hold fast to his word. Hold fast to his word. Stand on his eternal promises. Amen. We have the prescription. We have the prescription. We not only have the prescription, but we have the preparation. We have the promise. And hallelujah, praise Jesus Christ. We have the greatest proclamation that has ever been made. We have it. We have it. But for those of you who are afflicted, I hope that you are comforted by God's word today. But I have a dual full purpose today because there may be some amongst us who have yet to receive this medicine. And I want to afflict you because you are comfortable, but you're comfortable in something that is a, it's not truth. It's not the way and it's not the life. And so I want to plead with you. Stop going in the wrong direction. Stop thinking your righteousness will save you. It will not save you. It was not meant to save you. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, even your most righteous deeds are filthy rags. God is a holy God. He doesn't accept filthy rags. He wants a perfect, spotless sacrifice. And you are not able to provide that perfect sacrifice. You can't do it, in, even on your best day. James chapter 2, verse 10 says, if you kept the whole law and yet stumble in one point, in one area, you become guilty of them all. Romans chapter 3, verse Verses 20, excuse me, verse 23 says, all have sinned. Not some, not a half, not a quarter. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so if you are to die, you will die in your sin. And Hebrews 9, 27 says, man is appointed to die once and after that face judgment. You will have to now stand before this holy court. God doesn't need a prosecutor. He doesn't need someone to bring in evidence. He is the omniscient God. He knows all things. Amen. He knows every thought you thought. He knows every word you spoke. He knows every deed you did. And you will stand before him guilty. And he doesn't even want that to happen to you. You heard it. He wants you to come to repentance. He wants you to come to the knowledge of the truth. Stop resisting him. Stop fighting him. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Run to Christ. Run to him today. And he will gladly receive you. He will gladly receive you. But you, you must believe. You must believe. First Timothy chapter two, verses three through four says, this is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God loved you so much that he stretched out his arms out wide on the cross. You see that? His arms are open to all who will come unto him. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come to Christ today. There is no 
no true rest like the rest in Christ. There's no true Sabbath like taking rest in Christ. And so would you please come to him today? He's calling your name. Don't harden your heart. Don't stiffen your neck. Come to him today. If you have any questions, I would love to talk to you about what that looks like. And there are many other saints who are here in Christ who would love to share the joy and the peace of salvation, to share the only comfort that they have that is able to help them to persevere through their troubles. And that truth is Jesus Christ. Bless his holy name. Let us go to him now in prayer. Father and our God, we bless your holy name. We praise your holy name. And we are a people who are so thankful because we know that we were formerly not your people. We were not once your adopted sons and daughters. But Lord, we can rejoice today because Jesus Christ, he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And he paid our penalty in full. He cried out, it is finished. Our debt was paid. And we thank you so much that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was sufficient to atone for our sins. It was sufficient to pay our debt in full. But it took his life. And we thank you so much that you did not spare him. But you gave him up. So that we, so that we, your people, would be able to be with you in heaven and to worship you and to glorify you as we were made to do. And so, Lord, help us this day. Help us to not shudder in the darkness, but help us to remember that we have the light of the gospel. Help us to remember that we have the prescription for a troubled heart. Jesus Christ has prepared a way for us and he has made a promise. And Lord, we bless your holy name that he is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent. But he is God truly God and truly man. And he came to rescue us by giving us the proclamation. And thank you so much for that word. And Lord, we pray for those who are still here, still not believing your promise. God, would you please remove the scales from their eyes and help them to see Jesus Christ. Open their ears to hear your word. Open their minds to understand your word and your truth. But most of all, God, crush that stony heart and grant them a heart of flesh. Lord, you are a life giver and we commit this to you. We ask it by faith. In the name that is above all names, let all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ say amen. Amen Amen and amen.